You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Uh, Well, this evening we'll be looking at the first 10 verses of Paul's letter to the Galatians. As I said in the church email, never fear, we will be continuing through Luke. Uh, We are taking a small detour this Sunday and maybe next Sunday to get the first chapter of Galatians uh, done. Uh, But with that, uh, we come to this, uh, we come to this uh, wonderful letter Uh, that in many ways is the opposite of the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Here Paul is zealously guarding the gospel. And here Paul is, is, there's anger that flows through his pen as he's writing this. He is so concerned that the gospel stays as the gospel, that is never diluted or perverted, and that he fights with such tenacity to make sure that this church stays on the straight and narrow. So before we read, let us just pray briefly. Heavenly Father, as we come this evening to contemplate the gospel, the good news that peace on earth through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he has come into this world to save sinners. We pray, Heavenly Father, that this evening as we look at this section of Galatians, that we would see once more the the need for the gospel to be proclaimed clearly and the need for the gospel to be received fully in our lives. And so, Father, we pray for a rich blessing from your word. We ask this this evening in the name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Galatians 1, the first 10 verses. Paul an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel. Not not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So when you look at the beginning of Galatians, especially in light of us recently going through Ephesians, there's a marked difference in tone. In Ephesians, it's a wonderful book as Paul is speaking to these believers and he's expounding upon the work of the triune God and he's just overflowing in delight as he gets this wonderful opportunity to explain to them what God is doing. But then in Galatians, the tone is vastly different Paul begins by speaking about his credentials of who he is 
and of the gospel. And then, as he starts in the opening of the letter, he is astonished. He is shocked to his very core that these people are turning away from the true gospel. He says, turning to a different gospel. And then he marks, he reminds them there's actually no other gospel, but to, to leave the one pure gospel is to leave it for something completely different. Any distortion of the gospel message has so distorted it to where it's not even something that looks like the gospel anymore. And when we think about Galatians, it can sound like a strong letter, and indeed it is. It's a strong letter. Throughout it, really, the underlying question, or what's driving Paul, is this. How, how, seriously, how seriously do you and I take the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? How seriously do we take it? I mean, certainly the first question will be, do we believe it? Do we believe that it's true? The second question Paul constantly brings up is then, do we live it? Do we live our lives as if it's true? But then as he goes through Galatians, it's continuing to add to that. Would we suffer for it? Given the choice between ease and a perverted gospel or standing firm in your faith and facing opposition for it, what would we do? Would we proclaim it in the face of opposition? And at the end in Paul's life, would we die for it? Is it that important that even our own life is less important than the proclamation and the preservation of the gospel. But it goes further when we see Paul's letter. Would we rebuke others for perverting it? Paul goes so far as to speak of casting others out of fellowship, those who are propagating a false gospel. This gospel is so different and that its end is so different. The gospel that Paul preaches is one that brings life and blessing and eternity with God. The gospel that his opponents are preaching brings one to damnation, to hell and to separation. Notice he says it twice here. If anyone preaches this perverted gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be under the curse of God. And Paul here is not saying that lightly. Paul here knows that, that to change the gospel is to offer no hope at all, but rather to be enslaving people again. And if you think about who Paul is in his life, he knows that firsthand because he was that person who preached that distorted gospel, that enslaved rather than set free. So there's a bit of an issue with the letter to Galatians uh, in terms of dating. When did it occur. Uh, it is possible that this might actually be Paul's first letter. And if it is, it's just interesting to see the way in which he is so concerned for the gospel, so concerned that it goes forth clearly, that he is willing to fight tooth and nail for it. And it bears it out in his life, because to him, to Paul, the gospel is the most important message in the world. It's the message that changed him in an instance. And this letter comes across with real anger from Paul because he realizes that the heart of Christianity is at stake here. That he's not dealing with a secondary issue. He's dealing with the very heart and soul of Christianity. 
And so he begins in verse 1, Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. And what he'll be using throughout Galatians is that the messenger is important. That the one who's saying these things and the motives that they're doing is important. But what Paul will point out is the messenger doesn't determine the message, but rather the message determines and binds the messenger. Here Paul calls himself an apostle. He means someone that has been divinely commissioned verbally by the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone whom the Lord Jesus Christ didn't work through secondary means to ordain someone like we do today ordaining ministers, but rather Jesus Christ himself called Paul and sent him on his mission. And so Paul here is, is, is laying weight on this claim that Jesus commissioned him, not in a sense to, to be prideful or boasting in that, but rather boasting in the gospel that changed him and the commission that he has. And so Paul here reiterates this, that, that he is an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. That throughout here, he, he is first assuming Jesus is fully divine, but he's also showing that his authority doesn't derive from just merely uh, 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 earthly people. It is not as if the church in Jerusalem got together and decided to call Paul as an apostle, but rather he reminds them that the Lord Jesus has done this. And so what Paul says has authority. And he says here, God the Father who raised him from the dead... Right, he, again, he's, he's just pointing out to this is the heart of Christianity, that there is someone who has been raised from the dead, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that flows forth all of the theology that Paul is going to speak about. And then in verse 2, I think, is interesting, as Paul is speaking of who he is, where his authority comes from. But then in verse 2, he says, and from the brothers who are with me. So Paul here, while he's speaking about his authority directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul is not alone in the message that he's pronouncing. He's not alone in this letter. He has connections to other believers. Indeed, even he speaks about in the book of Galatians how he went to Jerusalem to lay before them this gospel so that he made sure that he was preaching the right thing. So there's this interesting tension that Paul has that he was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's not acting independently from the church. And again, that's one of the things we pride ourselves with the Presbyterian system is being connected to other churches. And what a blessing it is even for me this morning to be at Wadden Road and for Tim to be there this evening. And even how difficult Presbytery can be sometimes, it means that we are connected together, that there are other churches in England and Wales that care about us and we about them, that we aren't acting alone. And so Paul here is speaking about the fact that he has the, if it will, the backing of Jesus, but also the backing of the brothers. That Paul is speaking to these, the churches of Galatia. At the end of verse 2, likely he's meaning here is that there's lots of house churches under the banner of the church of Galatia. And that this letter would then be circulated throughout those churches. And so Paul then begins with the gospel. You'll remember generally he comes with the beginning of his letters, grace and peace to you. But here Paul seems to flesh it out even more than he usually does. 
grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, it's always easy to, to breeze past his intro, introductory statement here about grace and peace, but to just stop and be reminded of grace is this unmerited favor of God. That Paul is speaking here at the very beginning that these individuals, these churches in Galatia, that these believers there did not do anything to earn God's love and forgiveness. And that actually throughout their life, as, he, as we read from earlier in chapter 3, that even their life ongoing is one of grace. And also he speaks of this word peace, certainly coming from the Hebrew idea of shalom, of settled rest. But Paul will say in the book of Romans that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Right? The war is over. We are welcomed in. And that this comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 4, Paul gets at the message or the content of the gospel. That Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father. That Jesus came to deliver himself for our sins. For our sins from this present evil age to save us and to rescue us and to redeem us. And really, this here is a, a foreshadow of where the book is going, that we were saved from the present evil age. And actually, at chapter 6, verse 15, near the end of the letter, Paul speaks about the ways in which we're moving towards this new creation. So we await this age to come. We await this new creation, this new Jerusalem. Yet already we are a part of Jesus Christ and his work. And then in verse 5, he just gives us what we're doing today, what we're doing this evening, the outcome of the gospel. It's redeeming and rescuing us. It's saving us in order that we might be those who bring glory to God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. That everything done, all of this, is so that we bring glory to God. Think of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Was their chief end to enjoy God and to glorify him forever and ever? And so Paul here in the introduction, he speaks about the way in which the messenger himself as an apostle is faithful to this message. That he's commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And that this message, even here in the introduction, is nothing but the free grace of the gospel found only by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's his introduction, laying the groundwork and the foundation for what he's going to say next. In verses 6 through 10, we really get the uh, beginning of the problem, the, the problem that is facing the Galatian churches. And so Paul, as he's writing here, Primarily, he seems to me throughout the book of Galatians trying to remind them of the way in which the, the gospel is something that is immovable. The gospel which is something, in a sense, solid, something which they can't change. Something that exists above and, and, and beyond them, that changes them. They never change the gospel. Even if they think that they can, Paul is, is reminding them that when you start changing that gospel, suddenly what you have is no gospel at all. I wasn't very good at physics, but I often liked physics in university and in high school. 
I think what I liked about it is there's, some, there's something uh, immovable about physics, about the way it works. You can't be a, a relativist when it comes to physics. Gravity is going to be gravity no matter what you believe about it. That they think these things are going to happen, and it just doesn't matter if you know the laws of gravity or not. You will find out soon enough that gravity exists, that forces exist. In much the same way, I think Paul is trying to drive at that with the gospel, that it exists and you cannot change it, but rather it will be changing you. You are conformed to it, not conforming it to us. And so verses 6 through 7, he speaks of this uh, another gospel. In all of Paul's letters, just about, I always am wary when I make statements like that, just in case I'm wrong. But generally speaking, right, there's a, a nice greeting in his letters. Galatians is the one exception. There's no wonderful greeting. There's no how are you doing. There is simply Paul here with his mouth open, shocked at the state of this church. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. I am so astonished that you are, are now departing from the message that we delivered to you. That they are, 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 they are abandoning the gospel for that which is not the gospel. And really, Paul is trying to get them to place that, that burden of proof on this group that is seeking to tear them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Paul is, is reminding them that he has been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is working with the churches throughout the region. That the triune God is what he's preaching. That free grace is what he's offering. And Paul is trying to, to call them back to remember what it is they will be giving up. And look at the way he says, he speaks about their relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. That you are deserting him who called you in, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That it was Jesus who extended this call to them, who called them to be a part of his body, his people. And that they now are, are, in a sense, trying to determine for themselves what the gospel means apart from Jesus Christ. To whatever it is that, that makes sense to them apart from what God has revealed in his scriptures. Paul is speaking of people here whose hearts have been changed. Who've been called out of darkness. And that all of this has been done not because they deserved it, but rather because God is gracious. And again, you think of what the gospel that Paul is offering, what he's preaching, what God is doing. He's then asking that question, right? Why would you want to depart from this? The gospel speaks about a God who is gracious, a God who punishes Jesus instead of you, who offers you eternal life for nothing more than faith and trust in him. That he has freed you from the kingdom of Satan in this present evil age and brought you into his gracious kingdom. Would you now want to depart from that? Is there a better offer out there? Would you depart from that? Why would we want to depart from this? And so verse 8, Paul brings out that there are these false messengers 
these false messengers that are coming in and among them. And Paul really states in this very hyperbolic way that even if an angel from heaven or even an apostle like himself, even someone with this much authority should preach a gospel that is different from what they heard, they are to be accursed. So that even if Paul or an angel from heaven came and started speaking to them about things that were contrary to the gospel, they are to be accursed. And think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying here that he, again, is under the authority of the gospel, that he has no right and no ability to change what the gospel says to fit him and what he wants, and that anyone who does this, including himself, should be accursed and cast out from the people of God. That even if an angel were to stand in their presence and contradict the word of God, I mean, how immovable is he trying to describe the gospel as being? That there's nobody that can change now what it's said because what is said is from God. And so Paul gives these real warnings. In verse 9, he's reiterating the same thing twice. And again, when this Bible seems to say the same thing right next to each other, back to back, it is their way, it seems, of sort of underlining, putting it in bold and adding about five exclamation marks to it. That he says, if someone does these things, whether it is me, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, or an angel, and obviously he's also assuming the actual false teachers there in Galatia. If any of them do this, they are to be accursed. In the Old Testament, the word curse has this idea of just complete and absolute destruction. You can think of the city of Jericho. It was placed under the ban. It was, it was, in a sense, cursed. And then it was to be absolutely and utterly destroyed and wiped off the face of the earth forever. And Paul is, is really not beating around the bush when he's speaking about the ways in which departing from the gospel and those who are teaching and propagating that message. And so in verse 10, he then is trying to appeal to them. Or he's asking them, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul, again, is just reiterating to them the life that he has lived before them. He's not taken money from them. He has preached the gospel freely. He has also suffered greatly for it and will suffer greatly for it and will give his life for it. And he's, he will be contrasting this against the false believers who are there in order to take their money and fleece the sheep. Paul is saying that, that the way to see a false teacher is twofold, to see it in his life and the way he lives and to see it in what he teaches. Paul really is driving at, I think, two important points here at the beginning of Galatians. One of those is that theology matters. That theology matters. When we think about this, what does the Bible actually say? Have you ever talked to uh, groups uh, who, are, who fall in the groups of, of heresy against the church? You'll often find that they can quite often quote verses. But oftentimes those verses are out of context. It sounds actually very similar to what Satan does to Jesus in the temptation. Quoting verses out of context. 
Actually, the New Testament authors, oftentimes when they're quoting a single verse, they really mean and want you to think of the entire wider context, sometimes several chapters worth when they're quoting. Actually, when Jesus responds to Satan, he's primarily using Deuteronomy 6 through Deuteronomy 8 in his responses. And so Paul is showing that his opponents are are taking things out of context. They're trying to apply the law now through Jesus Christ. Instead of seeing the whole flow and and movement of Scripture. Right? Really, Paul, I think, is just trying to reiterate to these people to be reading the Bible supernaturally. To reading the Bible, well, through prayer, through the Spirit at work, through the one who inspired it by asking him to be helping us as we read it. But it's also just a reminder of the need of, of, of breath of needing to know what the scriptures say from Genesis to Revelation, that we'll never know all of it, but the more we know, the more we see how scripture interprets scripture, the more we can guard ourselves against falling into false views like this. But a second way, note the way that Paul is is not saying that he alone determines what the gospel is. He says, first, my authority is derived from the Lord Jesus Christ. There are the brothers with me. I have gone to Jerusalem. I have met with the church. I stand together with them. In many ways, it's simply that church history actually becomes incredibly important. It's why we confess the Apostles' Creed in the morning as a reminder that we stand with the church throughout the ages. But primarily, Paul's major point is that, yes, theology matters, but theology matters as it drives to the point of the gospel. Theology drives to the point of the gospel. Theology and all that we do is for the purpose of seeing what God is doing and leading us to Jesus Christ. We think of creation, we think of a God who is sovereign over all things. When we think of Jesus coming into this world, it is God and man. It is a a, a new Adam. It is someone who is able to save us apart from ourselves. That Paul's message is constantly hammering home that we are justified. We are made right with God because of what Jesus has done. That there is no works that can save us. And if this is the message of salvation... Right, then, then someone who comes along and says, well, now you've been saved by grace, you need to be remaining with God by working. There are all these other things that you need to be doing in your life in order to have assurance that you are a Christian, which is what these false teachers in, Galatian, in Galatia are doing. They're basically trying to roll back the clock of salvation history. They're trying to put them back into a time where they need to worry and fear over their relationship. They need to take stock and and they need to be worried that they haven't done every little minute thing that they need to do where Paul will constantly bring them back and say, no, it is what Jesus has done for you. That doesn't mean that there's nothing for us to be doing in our Christian life. But Paul at the beginning of Galatians will basically say, stop, rest, reflect, and embrace the wonders of the gospel. Some of the best advice I've ever heard is that we just never outgrow the gospel. 
We never outgrow the need to be reminded of our sins, of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his love and saving us. That we never outgrow this. And that Paul is really at his heart trying to get the Galatians to remember that what saved them is what continues to keep them. And that once they know that, do not depart from it. Come hell or high water, hold fast to Jesus Christ because he will hold fast to you. Amen. Let us pray. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk. For more, thank you.